Thank you, Pastor Howard. It's a privilege to get to know you tonight. Hopefully we'll get to know each other a little bit better as the conference goes on. It is an honor to be here. You folks have been supporting us since uh, 1996, maybe? 1996? That wasn't before your birthday, was it? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, uh, I used to sit there and say, those are the old-timers. Now I look in the mirror and find out uh, I'm an old-timer anymore. But uh, we are honored to uh, uh, represent you in the country of Poland. Let me just uh, very quickly give you a, uh, a rehearsal, so to speak, of our ministry. Um, I was uh, in the automobile business here in Detroit area. And in 1995, uh, God called me, excuse me, uh, in 1991, God called me into the ministry. And uh, Tina and I prayed long and hard about things. And we sold our house in Shelby Township, uh, moved down to, down to North Carolina, and started working on our education, our theological education. And um, from there, then God led us uh, over the country of Belarus. Belarus is in the Middle Eastern Europe, right next to Poland, as a matter of fact. It's tucked between Poland and uh, uh, Russia proper. And God allowed us to be there for about six and a half years. We were involved in two church plants in the city of Minsk, Belarus. It's a Russian-speaking culture. And uh, during that period of time, uh, George Bush was elected president. And uh, the um, tension between Belarus and the United States started uh, escalating, so to speak. And uh, you see, uh, Belarus is a, uh, a communistic dictatorship. Uh, the president was elected in 1994 to a four-year term, and he's still in office today. And so um, uh, a lot of controversy between the United States and Belarus, and we saw God open the door there, and then we saw God close the door to our ministry there, and we went right across the border into Poland. We uh, were familiar with the country of Poland. We were taking kids from uh, Belarus across the border, having camps in Poland, so we got familiar with the culture, and so it was uh, something that when God closed that door, he opened another door in the country of Poland. Uh, well, we went over across the border. We were uh, about about an hour by car uh, east of Warsaw. God allowed us to be involved in a church plant there. And then God called us down to the southeast corner of Poland. That's where we are today, and that's where we'll show you, tell you about our ministry down there. The southeast corner of Poland uh, is uh, uh, probably about the uh, highest percentage of Roman, practicing Roman Catholics in the world. Uh, there's 95% uh, Roman Catholic in the country of Poland, but in the area we're in, it's 95% practicing Roman Catholics. This is the area where John Paul II is from. Uh, country um, uh, Poland has a uh, population of about 39, billion, uh, 39 million people, and um, uh, estimates of about 5,000 believers in the whole country. So it's a very, very needy place. Tonight, I, I'd want us to take a look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 tonight. And as I mentioned, uh, Poland is extremely Roman Catholic. As a matter of fact, I like to joke and say I, I think the only place that has, might have more practicing Roman Catholics than where we are, we're at is uh, the Vatican. Uh, and I'm not sure about that. I think we might have more. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, I've come to... Uh, the burden that's been on my heart is uh, is uh, reaching out to the Roman Catholics. Um, Tina's uh, family is all Roman Catholic, 
And as I have become more and more familiar with Roman Catholicism, I have found it a system that literally puts people in spiritual bondage. And I want to explain that tonight to you. I want to talk to you about what is Roman Catholicism. Why do we need to witness to the Roman Catholics? A lot of people I hear say, well, they're Christians, a Christian nation. And many in Christian circles, in the evangelical circles, have not sent missionaries into the country of Poland because they're Christian. But as uh, we talk about Roman Catholicism tonight, as we uh, look at uh, uh, what they believe, I think you realize very quickly is that we need to reach out to our friends, relatives, neighbors. As I mentioned, uh, Tina's family is Roman Catholic. And um, um, those doors don't open very often, but Tina and I prayed uh, often about her her family. And this time since we've been home in the last three months, God has opened up the door where we could speak or I could speak to her father for about two and a half hours about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he opened up the door and was able to talk to her, her, her brother for about two and a half hours also. And both those doors are still open. And we're excited to be home this year. We're, we're praying that God will... Uh, open their eyes, uh, open their eyes to what they have been following, and that is a man-made religion. If uh, you uh, look at Romans chapter 10 tonight, I'm going to start off at verses 1 through 4. And the very first thing I want to see here in this passage of Scripture is that they have a zeal for God with no knowledge. And it's the Apostle Paul speaking about the nation of Israel. But as I, as I look at this passage of Scripture, one of the things I realize is that uh, the time of uh, at the time of Christ, right after the time of Christ, the New Testament period, um, the nation of Israel was very, very similar to Roman Catholicism, and uh, just like Paul is saying here, I would be saying the same thing that uh, Paul is saying here in the first four verses: is they have a zeal for God with no knowledge. Look, started looking at uh, verse one here. It says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, the righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's ask God to bless our time as we look at his word tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are thankful for this ministry. We, uh, we praise you for how they have uh, been behind us, how we've been able to represent them in Eastern Europe now for uh, over 13 years. And Heavenly Father, tonight, that uh, as we look at your word, if you give us something that we could use to be able to be more effective witnesses uh, for you, especially amongst Roman Catholicism, those that follow the Roman Catholic Church, we now ask uh, that you be with us now. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. As I mentioned, they have many similarities. The nation of Israel has many similarities to the Roman Catholic Church uh, today. Uh, one of the things that I have found since I've been back is that Roman Catholicism has evolved a little bit in the United States. In the country of Poland, it is the old Roman Catholic faith. It hasn't changed. Here, it's very politically correct. Um, Roman Catholicism, by the way, does not change doctrine. A, um, the Pope today cannot change what was established in the past. But they make it a lot more palatable because a lot more Roman Catholics are looking at the Bible. I've been surprised how many Bible studies that uh, I've heard about uh, that Roman Catholics are having. 
But uh, one of the things that I realize, and as I look at the Word of God and as I talk to them, one of the things I realize is that um, is that they the definitions are different than what the Bible teaches. Um, I don't know how many how many have tried to witness to a Roman Catholic. Several of us, and. Uh, uh, you ask uh, different questions uh, and ask them, what do you believe? And they say, well, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ by faith. Well, when I hear that term, my ears sort of perk up and I, I start asking uh, questions. Now, what do you mean by that? And as we look at the passage of Scripture here, I, I believe that tonight we'll see two different definitions. One that you see a Roman Catholic will have and one that the Word of God has. Like I said, they, in this first part here, in verses 1 through 4, they, four, they have a zeal for God with no knowledge. As I mentioned, they have a lot of similarities. Uh, uh, just like the time of uh, the Apostle Paul here, uh, formalism. Uh, when you walk into a Roman Catholic church, there's a, the idea of a, a certain hushed uh, respect when you walk into one of those buildings that have. Symbolism, as you walk in a Roman Catholic church, the objects, Old Testament, New Testament, you'll see them all around you when you go into one of their buildings. Uh, ceremonialism, everything is done exactly the same way over and over and over again. The religious dress, they have to identify who they are by their dress. They set themselves apart as someone special. Uh, the country of Poland where we live is that, uh, like I said, everything is evolved around the Roman Catholic Church. When I walk out my door, we live out in the country about 12 miles outside of our target city. And as I walk out the door, I look across the street and I see houses in my neighborhood there. And uh, there's a, on the face of the house, there's a spot missing where they left a brick out of that fascia. And they have a little statue there. Anybody can guess what that statue is? Mary. Mary. As a matter of fact, Mary is very, very popular there. They have Radio Maria. All they do is chant all day long. John Paul is from this particular area of Poland, and uh, he raised Mary up to be the co-mediator with Christ. And so they were very obsessive about Mary uh, there. Matter of fact, as you drive down my street, you'll see statue after statue after statue. When you see my video presentation tomorrow night, you'll see several pictures of statues. Those are all on my street within about uh, a quarter of a mile. And as you go down the street, you'll see a, a statue with Mary holding Christ, or you'll see a, a saint, or you'll see uh, uh, you'll see uh, uh, Christ on, like I said, on the crucifix, um, and uh, uh, sometimes you'll see statues. I think the statues are worth more than the houses they live in. Sometimes, what those are are good luck charms, ladies and gentlemen. They are good luck charms. As you get to the end of my street, you'll see a large. Catholic Church. Now, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. This large Catholic Church, uh, if you walk in the door up on the left-hand side on the ceiling, I think it says 1584, I think it was built in. And uh, on Sunday morning, as we drive by there, they have three or four masses. As we go to our meeting, uh, I'll drive by there, and I'll have to slow down to two or three miles an hour because there's so many people there. Uh, it's a requirement that Roman Catholics are supposed to be at Mass. And we'll talk about that a little bit here. But as I drive in front, sometimes I'll even see people outside the door on their knees. And really, really bothered me. Why, why, why would they be outside? This place is huge. I mean, they have a lot of people coming in. But even still, 
even on a rainy day, it seemed like they would be able to get everybody inside the building. I started asking around, what, what is going on with these people outside kneeling? And uh, one of the polls told me, he says, well, that person has sinned during the past week and they feel so guilty, they don't feel worthy to walk into this holy shrine or this holy place. You see, the Catholic Church is a surrogate of Christ. It has taken the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about a little bit of that and try to give you a little understanding about that. If you make a right-hand turn, I go through some farmer's fields as I head out towards uh, the city of Krakow. We're about an hour uh, east of uh, the city of Krakow. And as we head out, we'll see these little buildings. And as you drive by these buildings, you'll stop and you'll look and you'll rub the glass and look inside and they have a statue of Mary with all kinds of things that they have adorned her with. And what it is is that it's a good luck charm for the farmers. They built and placed statues, uh, icons, uh, religious emblems in order to bring good luck. Religion is uh, not what we are. We're a people of faith. We follow after the Word of God. What we see around us are people that are religious. And what religion is, is man's attempt to make himself acceptable to God on man's terms. That's what religion is all about. And that's what we see in the country of Poland. They're trying to make themselves acceptable to God on their own terms. One of the things I've realized as I, as I studied Roman Catholicism, as I've looked at the Word of God, I'm, I'm taking classes right now, I've been sending checks to Maranatha, Baptist Bible College for so long, I'm down to the fourth kit. I see a light at the end of the tunnel. My wife says, why don't you work on your master's? So we're extending that out. Uh, last, I was there last week. Uh, was it last week? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I wanted to find out who has the Mercedes. I want to know who I bought the Mercedes for. That's all I want to know. But one of the things I have found with Roman Catholicism is the manipulation of the Word of God. Uh, our daughter, Allie, She's been with us about nine years. She's from the country of Ukraine. And uh, she, uh, she has a struggle listening to her mom and dad sometimes. And uh, now she's going to be mad at me tonight because I'm embarrassing her. But one of the things I expect out of my kids is when I tell them something that they, they should listen. And uh, I always like to ask Allie, I says, Allie, what happens if you don't listen the first time? Get scolded. What happens the third time? You're right. What happens if you did it four or five times? <laughs> oh, yeah. You think if God told us four or five times to do something and we didn't listen to Him, you think how 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 do you think you'd feel? How do you think you'd feel? We see that what Catholicism has done to the Word of God. They don't listen. They want to change it and manipulate it to their own use. When I witness to a Roman Catholic, I'll hear two or three different things why they're going to heaven. And uh, I'll ask them, why, what, why are you going to go to heaven? And a few of you said you've witnessed Roman Catholics. What's some of the, what's some of the favorite things they say? They do good works. What else? They observe what? The sacraments. Very good, yes. Anything else? 
Yes, sir. Right. Right. The one I like the best, the one I like the best, is is that they say that I follow the Ten Commandments. Um, this is where I was trying to lead us to. And uh, when God tells us and gives us commandments, we should follow after them. But one of the things I have found, and if you witness to a Roman Catholic, one of the things you need to understand is that the Roman Catholic Church has changed the Ten Commandments. And if you're interested in witnessing to a Roman Catholic, you need to keep this in mind because you need to start a foundation of the authority of the Word of God. Because they'll go to church traditions, church doctrines, but you want to take them to the Word of God and demonstrate to them, number one, is that things have been changed and they shouldn't. The very first thing you want to show them is the Ten Commandments. Does anybody know where the Ten Commandments are? We're not going to ask the pastor and get him embarrassed. Okay. Does anybody know where the Ten Commandments are? Hmm? Yes, in the Bible. They're in the Bible. Exodus, you know the chapter? Who said 20? You're very good. Exodus chapter 20. Take your Bible turn over to Exodus chapter 20. Now, as I, as I mentioned, and I put Allie on the spot, I believe when God says something, we ought to listen. Exodus chapter 20. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And in um, Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment is verse 3. Now, you might want to take a pen or a pencil because I want to go and give you something here. Uh, sort of a... Uh, uh, a way to walk through the Scriptures a little bit when you demonstrate how they change the Word of God. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Not a problem. We all agree with that. In the Catholic Church, the second commandment is in verse 7. And their second commandment is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. They skip uh, verse 4 and 5. And um, if you walked up to, if you went home tonight and you Googled Roman Catholic Ten Commandments, you'll notice he goes from verse three to verse seven, and they skip verse four. They take uh, verse seventeen, which is the tenth commandment, and they split it into two parts to give themselves ten commandments. Look at verse four. It says, "Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or that any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath." or that is in the water underneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now, I think that's pretty clear, but I've opened this passage of Scripture to Roman Catholics and started witnessing to them, and they try to, they try to talk this away. But if you have a pencil or a pen, you might want to take and right next to that verse 4 here, you might want to write down Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1. Leviticus 26, 1. And when you got that written down, take your Bibles, turn over to Leviticus 26, 1. As I mentioned, I get upset when Allie doesn't listen to me for the first time. The second time here, I think God... I think God has a right to be a little upset 
when he repeats himself over and over again. Leviticus 26.1, it says, Ye shall make you no idols or nor graven image, neither rear up a standing image, neither shall ye set up an image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Now, we see here the prohibition against having statues, icons, things like that. Uh, if you want to write next to that verse, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And when you wrote that, when you have that written down, take your Bibles and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you an graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air. Next to that verse, you can write Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Are you getting an idea here what God thinks about this? Deuteronomy chapter 5, Verses 8 and 9, it says, Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, nor that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. And then if you still, they're still not convinced, you can tell them Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 15. Deuteronomy 27, verse 15 says, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of thy hands of the craftsman, and putteth it to a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Uh, I'll stop there, but you could write down next to that one, Psalms 97.7 also, by the way. I think you get the idea of the point that God is making here, is, is that they have a zeal for God with no knowledge. They have a zeal for God with no knowledge. Um, they have manipulated, they've changed the Word of God uh, to make it where it fits into their system. Why? Why do they do that? It's all about power and control. Take your Bibles and go back to Romans chapter 10. I believe we need to understand what is salvation before we look at Roman Catholicism. And let's look at a passage of Scripture here in Romans chapter 10, a passage of Scripture that's very familiar here to all of us. If we ever witness, we probably use this passage. It says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, I believe, is the, the 13 most beautiful words in Scripture. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand what we believe first and how God has worked in the doctrine of salvation. And we see very clearly here as those that call upon the name of the Lord. But let's, let's when I look at the Bible versus what Catholicism believes about the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, I really believe it comes down to one word. And it's what we believe is the doctrine of being, sins being imputed, imputation. Can you come here for me and help me for a second? 
Take your Bibles, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse 19. If somebody can read that passage of Scripture for me very loudly. I'm not going to embarrass you. Honest. Your name is Evan. Excuse me, Evan. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Who's got that verse? Can you read that for me real nice and loud? I like two words there. The first one is reconciliation. That's sort of a, uh, an accounting word. Everything has to be reconciled. You go to the store, you buy something, you reconcile the purchase. In accounting, the books have to reconcile. They have to balance. We understand that. Uh, was it Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. We have something to reconcile. And Jesus Christ reconciles our sins by paying the price for our sins. One of the other words there is the word imputed. Does anybody know what the word imputed means? Also, an accounting term, old-fashioned accounting term, gives the idea of assigning to. Jesus Christ assigned your sins not to yourself, but to Him. He took upon Himself your sins. Give you an idea here. See my sport coat here? Picture that as my sins. And I have to, I have to do something with these sins. When God looks at me, He sees my sins. We're unacceptable when God sees our sins. Why did Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, that God turned His back upon His Son? He couldn't look upon sin. So when He sees me, well, before I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, He sees my sins. One of the greatest things is that word there, imputed. What He's done is, is that He's taken my sins and He's taken it upon Himself. I hate getting the small saying, you guys. It looks like I have to have a diet after I put on my sport coat. But when Jesus Christ sees me now, what does He see? He does not see those sins anymore. He has taken it upon Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. clears up the doctrine of imputation. Read that if you would, please. Very loudly. How fast does that happen? How fast does that happen? Instantaneously. Like that. That's what the Word of God teaches. We call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, He imputes our sins to Himself. God does not see me as a sinner anymore because Jesus Christ has taken upon Himself my sins. What we talk about good news, that is good news. That's what the gospel is. Why do we send missionaries around the world? Why do we send them to the country of Poland? It is the good news that they don't understand. And as you thank you, sir, appreciate it. Now, what is very important about this is that when we talk to a Roman Catholic and say, Why are you going to heaven? A lot of them say nowadays, Oh, it's by faith. It's by faith. They believe it is in, by faith. But it's not the faith that we just read there in the Word of God. They believe in imputation. Now, excuse me. Not, we believe in imputation. They believe in... Um, uh, help me, honey. 
uh, infusion. My, my mind is going, it's going, it's gone. They believe in, in infusion. Now, what is, did you have a glass of water up here by any chance? No, don't go. I was looking at this for an illustration. I don't need it. Okay. When a, a child is born in a Roman Catholic family, what happens in a week or two after they're born? They're christened. They're baptized. Now, what Roman Catholicism teaches when that happens is, is that when they're baptized, first off, they're brought into the Roman Catholic Church. They will ultimately go to heaven, by the way. That's official Catholic doctrine. They will ultimately go to heaven because they're baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. Also, is that child is beautified to God. And because of that, God infuses the initial grace into their account. Now picture a glass of water. A glass here. In the very bottom of there's a little water. Picture that as the grace that is given at the time they are baptized. Infusion gives you the idea where the door is opened. What Jesus Christ did on the cross is he's opened the door so infused grace can come into a person's life. Everybody follow that? Infusion is a slow process. It doesn't happen instantly of, like the Word of God teaches. It is a slow process that takes place. Now, the child is baptized. He has a little infused grace. Now, as the child gets older, we see that mom and dad have a problem. Is your children sinless? Have they been sinless? What, what, how old were they before you found out they weren't perfect? A few days. That's quick. Most parents have rose-colored glasses on in six months or a year. But we find out very quickly as parents that our children are not perfect. Why? Because they have a sin nature. Um, we find out, we figure that out very quickly. Matter of fact, as the child starts exploring around, I have a, a grandson now that he's about 20 months old. And talk about a sin nature. We love him to death, but... Boy, can they get in trouble. And I can't, I can't get my sinful wife to chase them down quick enough for me. But one of the things that always, always, that in, for some reason, boys, is electrical plugs. And they always want to go over and play with electrical plugs. I don't know why. Your boys do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they find it interesting. Now, the first time mom and dad says, no, they didn't sin. They didn't know any better. But it's, it's funny is that they don't know what no is. They know what no is, but they don't know what no is. So as soon as mom and dad turns around, the kid does a Hiawatha. Uh, mom and dad's gone. Now I can play with it. And they start playing with that electrical plug. And you've got to walk over and you've got to smack their hand. And it's really funny is that it takes uh, almost a second for the pain to go from here to here in a child's brain at that age. I don't know why. But I can always picture my kids is that it takes a second and that lip rolls under and all of a sudden that blood-curdling scream. And what you want to do as a parent is to teach them that the punishment is a lot worse than the pleasure they get out of playing with that electrical plug. Well, if they are successful with electrical plug, they might find it a lot worse. But anyways, well, you realize that they have a sin nature. Catholicism teaches that. Not a problem. But as they get older, what happens is that sin starts taking away... And I always like to have a glass of water, so I'm imitating it, is that... Those sins sip away that they, grace that they got when they were initially baptized. 
And the problem is, is they've got to fill up their glass. That's where the idea of infused grace comes in. So a Catholic goes through life of doing good works to add grace to their account, all by faith, and they lose it at the same time when they sin. They have two different kinds of sins. They have, thank you, I always mess up that word, menial sins, which are the minor, minor sins, and they have one called the mortal sin. By the way, the official Catholic doctrine, if you don't go to Mass on purpose, it's a mortal sin. Most Catholics don't know that. Most Catholics don't have any idea what they believe. But official Catholic doctrine, they'll lose all their grace. It means they're still going to heaven, but they'll spend a lot of time in purgatory. But as the Roman Catholic grows up, he's fighting back and forth, adding grace to his account, and losing it through his sins. Seven sacraments. What does the word sacrament mean? It means saving grace. That's what sacraments mean. We don't, we don't believe in sacraments, obviously, but it's a sacramental grace. Sacramental grace is infusing in that person's account. They have seven different ones and different things that you can do in order to add grace to your account. Does anybody know what the Mass is? This is very interesting. Everybody's heard of the word Mass, right? Okay. We do not come to a Mass. And it's not really a service. What is going on in the Catholic Church is, is that the Mass is the bloodless sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a propitiation offering, which means that it's an acceptable offering for grace. And as you go to the Mass and you participate in the Mass, you're involved in the bloodless sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me prove that to you. Pastor, what do you call this thing? Huh? Well, yes, platform. You have, a, you have an altar call or you have a platform call? Or you have... No, okay. Okay. Nothing wrong with When I was growing up, boy, the platform calls were real big. But this is a platform. What do they call it in the Catholic Church? Any, any former Catholics here? Altar. altar. They have the front altar, they have the side altars. What happens at an altar? Sacrifice. The sacrifice takes place. Thank you. You are a Catholic. That's right. That's how come it's called an altar in a Catholic church. When the priest goes to the Mass, they have... We call it the Lord's Supper table. They take the wafer, and when he blesses it, it literally turns into the body of Christ, transubstantiation. So when the priest blesses it, it becomes the body of Christ. The wine, the same thing happens. The blood, it turns into the blood of Christ. So what you're doing is you're ingesting the body and blood of Christ at the Mass. You're ingesting infused grace into your body. That is what's going on at the Mass. Now, there are a lot of other things that you can do, uh, the other sacraments, and as you go through life, you're adding and being taken away because nobody's perfect. You're adding and taking away to your grace. But the problem is, is that once a Catholic comes to the place that he dies, most of them don't have enough grace to get into heaven. And they go to a place called Purgatory. Purgatory um, uh, came about in about the 10th century. 
And actually they had to add the books of the Apocrypha into the Old Testament. You've heard them adding the books of the Apocrypha? Second Maccabees chapter 12, the prayers for the dead. They did that on purpose because during the Reformation, sola scriptura, only the scriptures, and the Catholics had to do something to prove that purgatory was something that was scriptural. So they added the books of the Apocrypha to get that, I believe, that one verse in there to say, this is what the Bible teaches, prayers for the dead. And it's a place of purgatory. Matter of fact, uh, if you go back in history, we see a lot of pagan religions believed in prayers for the dead. That was accepted by Catholicism about the 10th century. And by the 15th century, it was very, very popular at that time because people were paying indulgences in order to get their relatives and friends out of purgatory. So, now that's not real popular in America, but that's official Catholic doctrine. You go to catholicanswers.com tonight, by the way. Great website because they put everything in English that you can understand. And you can understand Catholicism, what they teach. It's a Catholic website. Uh, a, um, a cardinal in Baltimore certifies it, and I've used it quite often to show people. But you can go there and you see everything that's on there. Now, once a soul goes to purgatory, he has to be purified. Now, the Catholic Church cannot go after him. That guy's down in the ground already. So, he tells the relatives, they tell the relatives, is that, hey, you need to get this guy or this lady out of purgatory. And you have to do some type of adding grace to their account. We just had a holiday the other day. If you want to call it that, I don't call it a holiday, but some people would call it a holiday. What did we have the other night? Halloween. You know where that came from? Roman Catholicism in Europe. Now, if you come to Poland, if you come to... Well, actually, right now, if we came over, go over there right now, tonight, the cemetery by my house will be on fire with candles. There will be 10 to 30 candles on every single grave. It's almost like Thanksgiving in Poland. So the kids don't run around and dress up and go around with bags. All the families go out to the uh, graves of the loved ones. And they light candles. They say, well, it's lighting the way to heaven. Well, each of those candles is that supposedly that's giving sacramental grace to that person that's in purgatory. That's what's going on there. Now, the Catholic Church also has grace to help those departed loved ones. If you want to have a Mass said for them, they'll add grace to that person's account. Now, the question is, where did they get this grace from? Now, this is, this is where it gets really corny. And, it, and it's sad when you start understanding this, is that they teach that they have the tre um, treasury of merit. The treasury of merit is uh, the extra grace from people like John Paul II. This man was perfect. He lived the perfect life. I mean, he was so knowledgeable. He was the homeboy that did good. And he had extra grace. Where does that extra grace go into? The treasury of merit for the church. Mother Teresa. I mean, she was great. All she did was do good works around the world. Did she ever get around to you guys? Oh. I know she was in Africa a few times. But all that extra grace goes into the treasury of merit. And so... You have a Mass set, especially at uh, All Souls and All Saints Day. That's what Halloween is. You have a Mass set. You add grace to that loved one's account. Sooner or later, they get enough grace and they get to go into heaven. They get the glass filled up. And they get to enter into heaven. 
Is that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why are we in the country of Poland and a Christian nation? Because when the Word of God is twisted, just like in Galatians chapter 1 where Paul talks about a perverted gospel, that's even harder to witness to those folks than those that have never heard of Jesus Christ before. Because they're in the spiritual bondage. They don't understand. They have a zeal for God with no knowledge. And we have to start right at the beginning and start witnessing to them. Now, American Catholics are a little different. I wouldn't talk about purgatory. They sort of, sort of, that's official Catholic doctrine, but they've sort of washed that away. But what you want to do is set a foundation and show them how the Word of God has been changed and manipulated. They probably will, will know the word infused. They won't know what it means, but they've heard that term, infused grace. And hopefully I gave you enough tonight that you can use that word infused and demonstrate to them we don't believe infused grace. What the Word of God teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, is that Christ imputed our sins instantly. It's not something we have to work for. I was talking to my father-in-law the other day. And one of the things is, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And then he starts going on and looking at his crucifix there with Christ. When I look into the eyes, I feel so guilty. Why does he feel so guilty? Because he doesn't have enough grace and that's what they've instilled into him. That he has to do more and more and more and more. Jesus Christ has done. That's what the Word of God teaches why are you having a missions conference? Because the people around us here in Royal Oak have never heard the gospel of Christ clearly from anyone before. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Now we are ambassadors for Christ. I always like to tell everybody is that I'm no different than you folks are. We're ambassadors to the country of Poland. But you folks are ambassadors to Royal Oak, Michigan. We're not doing anything different there than what you folks ought to be doing here. The world does not understand the gospel because it has been perverted. They need to hear the gospel. Individually, like you should be doing here, corporately, and representing, being represented by missionaries in Cameroon, country in Poland, and a lot of other countries that were mentioned tonight. In closing, look at Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Paul asks four rhetorical questions. I believe they're rhetorical questions. And if you look at the missionary display back there, you'll see this same question, not on my display, but on this brother's display. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's a question. If nobody's there telling them, how will they understand the gospel? Second question, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Somebody has to go and tell them. And how shall they hear without a preacher? That word preacher there, by the way, is not referring to the man that stands behind the pulpit. It is the bearer of the gospel of Christ. Every single person that has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a preacher according to this verse right here, I believe. And then verse 15, it says, How and how shall they preach except they be sent? A lot of churches I've been into, it says, as you walk in, 
enter to worship, but then they have a sign as you exit. And a lot of us know that. It usually says, what? Enter to worship and... Nobody knows that? Nobody's been in a church that has that before? On one side it says, enter to worship. And then it says, you're entering into the mission field as you leave. I've seen a lot of churches that will have it on either side of the doorway. That's what we need to consider as we walk out this door tonight, is that you're entering into your mission field. I'll close with Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You see... It's wonderful to give out a Bible track, and we should give out Bible tracks. But if you ask people, how did you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Almost every one of them will tell you it's because somebody brought them to a church service, or somebody sat down and witnessed to them, somebody walked through the Scriptures with them. I have found very, very few that have said, I picked up a Bible track. We need people to open up the Bible track and explain what the gospel is all about. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for this time tonight. Thank You for uh, letting us look at Your Word, understanding what the Catholic Church teaches and what the Bible teaches. May we use it for Your glory. We ask everything in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.